If you'll join me now, I'm going to pray before we jump into 2 Samuel 7. Lord, again, uh, while I wish that we were all gathered together for church, I, I thank you that we're able to gather in this way. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are watching uh, this video right now. God, would you still our hearts and our minds, would you help us to concentrate? I'm sure for some it's hard uh, trying to do this through a screen, but I, I pray that, um, that our hearts would be yours, Lord, that we would treasure your word. And as we hear your word, as we look at your word, um, that you would, would stir up in us uh, a faith in you, Lord, that we would respond to your word um, with belief and, and that we would walk um, as your people, that we would follow hard after you. So God, would you open your word to us? Lord, would you help me to communicate, to teach your word to your people now? It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, let me start by reading uh, verses 1 through 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So we start off, and the, the way David saw his situation, he uh, was at peace. The, the enemies had been taken care of. He was living in Jerusalem now. The city was, was known as the city of David. He's in his palace. Um, he now has the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, in the city with him. So David finds himself living in this beautiful palace, this opulent uh, home, the Ark in the portable temple, a tent uh, nearby. Uh, and, and David sees that what God has promised him has come true. Right? He's made him the king. He's defeated his enemies. Um, he lives in this spacious palace. But God, the real king, the, the true divine king, is living in a tent. And David sees the difference here. He, he sees where he lives and he sees where the ark lives. And, and he wonders, is this how it should be? Right? Is this how I should honor God, the actual king? And while he didn't say that, that his plan was to build God a house, it's, it's clear that that's what he intended. Um, he wanted to build God, I'm sure, at least something comparable to the beautiful palace that he lived in. So he tells the plan to Nathan, the prophet, and Nathan responds. Now Nathan is not responding as a prophet in that moment. He's not responding as if this was the word uh, from God. Um, but Nathan uh, just says, yes, do all that is in your heart. And there's a, there's a lesson here that we won't spend time on, but even the best, most godly people with, the, with great intentions can still get it wrong, right? The reality is we do not know what God knows. We don't see everything that God sees. So uh, there's a response from God through Nathan. And the only way to learn uh, the air here is through the word of the Lord. Um, a really important requirement of God's king laid out back in 1 Samuel chapter 15 was that the king would listen to the word 
of the Lord, that he would listen to the voice of God. So verse 4 says, the word of the Lord came. And this this signifies how important this message is. Verse 5, God uh, tells Nathan to to go speak to my servant David. Now in verses 1 through 3, David's called the king over and over again. I think three different times. But here God doesn't say, go tell my king. Now he says, go tell my servant David. And David made it very clear in chapter 6 that we were in last week by his actions that he knew who the true king was. He knew who the glorious one was. He knew who the one was uh, that was to be worshipped. The ark, the ark of the Lord represented God's presence. And while David's intentions were, were good, at least as far as I can tell, uh, in wanting to build him a house. It wasn't what God wanted. And anytime you're doing something for someone or giving someone a gift, it should be something that they want done for them or a gift that they want given to them. If it's not, right, it could be an expensive gift. It could even be a thoughtful gift. But if it's not what they want, then it really isn't worth something. Right? I've learned this over and over again as a husband. Man, I've given some of the worst gifts ever to my wife. She can tell you stories that will make you cry how bad I've been at giving gifts. And what David finds out pretty quickly is that God doesn't want a fancy house. He's not asking for that. God reminds David that he's never lived in a permanent house since he freed Israel from, uh, from Egypt. Instead, what's happened is God has moved about with his people, Israel, in a tent. He he did that so he could dwell with his people everywhere they went. Everywhere God's people went, God was with them, dwelling with them, moving about in his tent, this uh, this portable temple. So God points out to David, hey, I've never asked Israel's leaders, I've never asked the judges of Israel to make me a house of cedar. And while David didn't see that coming, he certainly didn't see uh, what was coming next in, the, in, in 2 Samuel 7. David uh, had thought of building God a house, but what he was about to hear from God was that God was going to build a house for David. Not a physical structure, but a dynasty that would last forever through David's offspring. One commentator wrote that hearing these words was the most important event in David's life. Um, Our truth statement uh, for this passage is, God promises to David that he will establish forever the offspring of his chosen king through whom God's people are made his own for eternity. Uh, Again, God promises to David that he will establish forever the offspring of his chosen king through whom God's people are made his own for eternity. And David will hear this promise. He will respond in praise to God and pray that that God will confirm this promise forever. So verse 8, God reminds David what he's done for him, that he took him uh, from the fields as a shepherd to now being the leader over God's people. Verse 9 begins by reminding David that, that God has been with him everywhere he's gone. He's delivered him from his enemies. And I'm sure that as David's hearing these verses, he's nodding. Yes, yes, Lord, that's true. And then God says this. He says, I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. 
And I'm sure at this point, David's jaw dropped. No doubt this reminded David, the, the king of the nation of Israel, of the covenant that God made with Abraham, who the nation of Israel descended from. We get this back in Genesis 12. I'll read verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So now David is hearing from God that God is going to make his name great, the same promise that God made to Abraham. And the impression you get from the beginning of the chapter is that David had arrived, right? He's, he's, uh, he's got peace from his enemies. He's sitting here in his palace. The ark of the Lord is next to him. Surely God had done everything God had done everything that he was going to do, and yet we find out that God was not done. The Lord had not finished making David's name great. Verse 10, he says, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. So the focus shifts from David onto the people of Israel. He says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And we'll, we'll pause here for just a moment. God's now promised a place for his people. And these words echo uh, the song of Moses that we read in Exodus 15. It says, you will bring them in and plant them on your mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. So Israel had been in this land for some time, but verse 10 God tells David that, that the security of God's promised planting of his people had not yet been fully accomplished. Continuing on in verse 10 and into the beginning of 11, And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And David, again, he probably thought that the peace that God was going to bring had been accomplished, but God had a much greater peace in mind, and that was still in the future for God's people. Continuing on in verse 11, he says, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. David thought he had rest. He thought he was at rest from his enemies, but God was saying, No, this lays in your future a greater rest than David could imagine. And one reason uh, that it wasn't for David to build a house for the Lord was there was still much that the Lord had to do for the people of Israel. And, and in all of these verses, there's more that, that God will do. God lays out his promises, his purposes beyond David, um, the end of verse 11 and into 12. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. What the Lord would do would not be completed in David's lifetime. It would come after his death. But David's death would not throw a wrench in the promises of God that he was making to David. God would build a royal dynasty. And the promise focuses on David's offspring, or, or if we're thinking Genesis 12, his seed. We remember Abraham was promised a great name, a place, and rest. And, and these would be fulfilled through David. So also, God's, promising, uh, God's promise concerning Abraham's seed would be fulfilled through David. Right? This seed is David's offspring. Now on the surface... We think of uh, his not yet born son, Solomon, but it's also looking way ahead 
to Christ, right? Galatians 3.16 makes it clear that this offspring that God's promising was Jesus. We keep going in, in verse 13, and David finds out that his son, Solomon, uh, is the one who will build a house for God. It says, he shall build a house for my name. And the house won't be mentioned again, the house that Solomon will build in this chapter. Um, just four words are given to it to describe the, the house that David's son would build. And then the attention goes right back to the much more important house that God was going to build for David. So the second half of the verse gets back to the house that God would build. And this house is what the rest of Scripture focuses on. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Everything that talks about Messiah is, is looking back to this promise. And in the New Testament, we read about Jesus and find out he is the fulfillment of this promise. And the verse continues, and I will establish uh, the throne of his kingdom forever. And so we're going to see elements of this promise, one of which is that it's an eternal throne. Right? This house will not come to an end. The offspring of David will not end with Solomon. The kingdom of David's offspring would be established by God. And again, I'm sure David thought that his kingdom was established. But God had a view way beyond the lifetime of David. God had a view of eternity, an eternal kingdom. And this word kingdom is important. My guess is that when you think of the word kingdom, when I think of the word kingdom, we think of uh, like a, a geographical area. Um, and yet when scripture uses the word kingdom, uh, when it's talking about God's kingdom, it's talking about uh, God's rule and reign, right? This is kingship. So God is making the reign of David's offspring secure. This offspring will reign forever. And the word forever is repeated seven times throughout this passage. So there will be no end to this kingdom that God is promising to David. And verses 14 and 15 tell us that this will be different than, than, Saul's, uh, than Saul's kingdom. Verse 14 says, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, or that's just a word for sin, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of, men, of, the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. So there's this father-son relationship, and I don't know if you've paid attention to that throughout scripture, but Israel is so often described as the son of, uh, of God, that God is the father and Israel is the son. We see this in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, in the Psalms, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea. It's, it's all over the place. So as the offspring of Abraham was God's son, so would be the offspring of David. They would be God's son. The king would be God's son, chosen by God, belonging to God, bound to love and obey God. God's people will be his sons because the king will be God's son. So this relationship with David's son is different than the relationship that God had with Saul. When this son disobeys God, uh, God's steadfast love will not depart from him like it did from Saul. The Lord will discipline him. And, and we see this in, in the line of kings from David, starting with David. They will be disciplined when they sin, but God will not withdraw from them. Instead, he will be faithful to them, despite their unfaithfulness on their part. 
Verse 16 is, is the end of God's message to David. Um, and in it, it's clear of the permanence uh, of this promise that, that God is making um, by the word forever again, two more times. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The, the your refers to David's offspring. House, kingdom, throne, they're basically synonyms here. Um, and God says that it will be made sure. The point is that the reign of David's offspring is going to be secure forever. After Solomon, uh, we know that the kingdom will be divided into um, because of Solomon's sin. And both of those kingdoms would end up being devastated by an enemy. Uh, one by Assyria, the other by Babylon. This happened because God's king sinned, because God's people sinned. Now, this was tragic. And I'm sure that for those who truly did trust in God, it was hard now to trust in God's promise to David. I'm sure it was hard for them to see how this will be fulfilled. And, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But next, we see David's response. Um, starting in verse 18, what he does, he hears this word from the Lord. And then it says that he goes and he sits before the Lord, no doubt in the tent, right? In the tabernacle that David didn't think was good enough for God. So David leaves his palace and, and goes to the Lord's tent to sit before the Lord. And in verses 18 through 24, he praises the Lord after hearing his word. And to praise God, as one author put it, is to declare what he has done and what he is like. So that's what he does. In, in verses 18 through 21, he declares uh, what God has done in bringing him and his house uh, where he ha has this far. Um, verse 19, I, I want to read it to you and, and you make three uh, pretty simple observations. It says, and yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord. So he says this is a small thing. And, and what he's talking about is everything that God has done in David's life so far, which to David seemed like a big thing. He thought that, that God had already accomplished everything that he was going to do in David. And now David realizes that this is a small thing because God had so much more that he had in store for not just David, but, but for his, his line. You'll notice that, um, that David uh, calls himself your servant. He, he'll say that 10 times in this prayer in chapter 7. He realizes what a privilege it is to be called by God uh, my servant David. Uh, God called him that two times earlier in the chapter. Up to this point in the scripture, only Abraham, Moses, and Caleb have been called by the Lord, my servant. And David sees what an amazing privilege it is to be a servant of the Lord. And, and lastly, he says this, he says, and this instruction for mankind, O Lord. I think it's really easy to read through the Davidic covenant, to read through 2 Samuel 7 and miss that, that this promise wasn't just a promise that would impact Israel. David could see that this was a promise that would reach far beyond Israel. The Hebrew word here for mankind is, is Adam, Adam. 
Um, and David sees that what God has in view here is humanity. Uh, back in Genesis 12, God's covenant with Abraham that I mentioned before, it says God, God's going to make Abraham great. He's going to bless him uh, so that through his seed, all of the nations would be blessed. And we cannot forget that God has always had in view all of the nations. And David was able to see that, that, that this promised offspring of David would be for the nations. And much more could be said, but we've got to keep going. Actually, I will say one more thing. Authentic praise comes from a person who humbly recognizes what God has done. That's what we see in David. We see this authentic praise because he recognizes what God has done. And I wonder, do you recognize right now what God has done? When you read scripture, are you like David? Do you hear the word and then respond in praise to God for what he has done? Do you recognize in this strange, strange time that we're living in, do you recognize God's work in your life? Do you see his grace in your life? Do you respond with praise? Uh, life right now is challenging for people all over the globe. Do we as God's people see, recognize, and respond in praise to him for what he has done and who he is? And then in verses uh, 22 through 24, David goes on to declare what the Lord is like. And uh, John Woodhouse, a commentator, says uh, there's a wonderful logic to praise. We know what God is like because of what he has done. The verse 22, uh, it says, therefore, and a therefore is there. It's because of the great promise that God just made. So David says, therefore, you are great. O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you. And this probably flashes you back to uh, 1 Samuel, Hannah's prayer, where she says there's none like God. The verse continues, uh, verse 22, it says, According to all that we have heard with our ears. So again, David hears God's word. That's how he knew of God's greatness, and he responds. Um, Earlier, David asked, who am I? And now in verse 23, he says, And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing great for them and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its God. And Israel, they truly were God's people. God had redeemed them. He had saved them from the clutches of Egypt. He had shown his greatness and his fame had spread as people heard uh, about God saving this little nation of Israel from mighty Egypt. There's no other nation like Israel, but it's not because they were great. It's not because they were special, but it's because God made them his own. They were special because God chose to love them. And throughout the Bible, we see that God is going to make his name known through his people. He will make his name great in all the earth by saving people, by making them his own. Verse 24 says, And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. This people that he makes for himself will be his 
forever. There will be no end. There's no insecurity to it. He's made it sure. And, and David's prayer continues through the rest of the chapter. He prays that God will do everything that he promised. And it says that he had the courage to pray these things because of the promise that God had already made. So he prays that God will build this house, uh, this house of David, that God will, through David's offspring, build a house for and through David's line that will last forever. David believed in God. He heard his word and he trusted it. He trusted the promise that God had made. And David also understood that his sons needed to be obedient to the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 2, David's talking to his son Solomon. He's given him instructions and, and he says this in verse 4. He says, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, and he quotes, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Right? David knew that the sons had to be obedient to God. And we know what happens with David's sons. Right? They're, they're a train wreck. Solomon start, starts off great. Solomon's incredible. And then he compromises slowly. He marries a ton of different women, some of which, or many of which, worshipped other gods. And slowly, that, that impacted him, and it changed his worship. It diverted his attention from treasuring the Lord to treasuring all kinds of fake gods. So he wasn't faithful to Yahweh with all of his heart and soul. And God's people knew that their king was to follow Yahweh wholeheartedly in order for God's promise to come true. But the kings of Israel were not good at following God. Very few of them were good at all. Most of them were well acquainted with evil. And it led the nation to ruin over and over again. Even the handful of good kings that they had would not follow God completely. So the people of Israel knew the conditions. They knew that the kingdom wouldn't be secure as long as a sinner was on the throne. But they also knew the promise. They knew that God had promised a king forever. And if this promise would be fulfilled, it had to be because God would make it happen. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. And I love uh, Isaiah, what he says, what he could see of the son of David. This is a familiar passage probably to many of you. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So in order 
to make God's promise happen, it would be God himself who would come. God himself would be the promised king. And God spoke his promise to David like it was certain. And it was certain, it is certain, because God himself would make it happen. David's offspring would show over and over again that they couldn't be the king that Israel needed. Just like you and I wouldn't be able to be the king that was needed. The only way for God to fulfill the conditions uh, and the promise was for him to be the king. And where we stand now, we know David's offspring that Jesus would come to fulfill the covenant. The New Testament starts off, Matthew 1, 1, this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus was the seed, the, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God took on flesh, like John 1 tells us, and he dwelt among us. God had to come and be our king because every other king leads to ruin. You know that. Every king you pursue or when you try to be the king, it only leads you to ruin. Jesus is the only king who can lead us to God. Uh, I love in Luke when the angel is talking to Mary uh, about Jesus. She says, and behold, or he says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. God's great promise to David is fulfilled in Jesus. The offspring from David that will rule for eternity. So my response to all of this, to 2 Samuel 7, to what we know in the New Testament of Jesus, is we can trust God's promise. It is sure because he is the one who's made it happen. And right now, the world that we live in is so uncertain. Uh, For the first time in my life, I feel like I don't know what next month will be like. And and that's probably always been true, but right now I I feel it. I have no clue what things will be like next month. I, I know as a church, we're trying to figure out our plans for how to reopen. So I've been reading articles like crazy about what it might be like to reopen. I'm talking to other pastors about the plans they're making. Uh, The elder team, we have a meeting this afternoon and, and I'm sure a lot of what we'll talk about will be how are we going to reopen. And some of those things we'll be able to know, right? We can make plans about how to clean things so many other things that we're going to plan at this point they're just guesses because life right now is full of unknowns right you you might feel like you don't really have job security right now you might not know how you're going to pay your bills Uh, some of you are are thinking about not not just the end of the school year but what is school going to be like next year some of you are graduating high school or, or college and you're wondering what is the job market going to be like. Um, maybe you don't know where you're going to live in a few months. But what we do know is that Jesus is the sure fulfillment of God's promise. In that we can fully trust. Right? The believer knows that their king has them security for all of eternity. I don't know if you know anybody that uh, gets a book 
uh, that they've never read and they, they go immediately to the last chapter and, and they read that. Now, full disclosure, I would never do that. I think that's crazy. But, but there are some people that live that way, right? They, they want to know how the story ends, right? And, and then once they know how the story ends, they go back to the beginning and they read all the way through. And through all the ups and downs, there can be scary, stressful parts of the story. But they know ultimately how it's going to end. Even if they don't know how the next 50 pages are going to go, they know what happens at the end. And while we don't know what each day holds, we do know what God has promised, that he has promised an eternal king who sits on the throne, who rules and reigns, a king who saves. Now, if you know Jesus as your king, you're a part of God's church. And our mission as God's church is to tell the world of the promise that God has made and that he has made good on that promise through his son Jesus and that we invite everyone to come and trust in him to be made right with God the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I, I ask you, is Jesus your king? Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted in him? Are you a part of his kingdom? Do you want God's promise to David to be his promise to you? Because Jesus, the King of kings, King of kings offers for you to be part of his kingdom if you'll put your faith in him. And if you don't know Jesus, if you want to trust in him, if you have questions about Jesus, would you reach out to us? Would you get in contact with their office? I'd love to get on the phone and talk with you. After all this is done, I'd love to go grab coffee with you and, and talk more about Jesus, about why I trust in him. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we, um, we love you, Jesus. We love that, that we have your word, that we don't have to go through this life wondering about eternity. We might not know about tomorrow or next week or next year, but we know that if we've trusted in you, that, that you are the king, you are on the throne, no one's taking you off the throne, and that you save everyone who puts their trust in you, Jesus. So Lord, we, we pray that, um, that as your people, we would follow you, that we would trust in you through life's ups and downs, we would trust in your word, that we would be a people that responds to your greatness by praising you and telling this world about you, Jesus. And, and I do pray uh, for my friends that are watching this video right now that, that life does not feel secure in any way. Jesus, I, I pray that they would, would trust in you um, even as life feels chaotic around them, Lord. Jesus, it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. I so look forward to being with you face to face, I hope, very, very, very soon.